This is At The Wood, where bartenders talk to other bartenders and industry friends about drinks, service, and anything else you talk about while sitting at the wood. Alright, another, uh, here we are, sitting at the wood. Who's with me? Uh, I'm Eric Croswell. I'm a current bartender at To The Lost. I have a background in brewing as well, though. I'm I'm Matt Buck. I bartended to the Lost, and uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Seth Van Haver, uh, the pride of Red Deer, and I bartend at State and Main. Uh, you'll have to forgive us for the quality. We don't have uh, we don't have a fancy podcast studio and a whole bunch of mics. It's three of us sitting uh, at to the Lost in downtown Red Deer on a closed Sunday afternoon in a booth with one microphone. So. <laughs> Three guys, one booth. Yeah. Oh. Three guys, Starting one it mic. off. <laughs> yeah. Three guys, one mic. That's and it's big. So the, the 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 podcast is at the wood. It's sitting at the wood, bullshitting, talking about you know this is what happens when you're sitting at the wood at a bar, uh, mostly bar related. Um, but sometimes we kind of go off on tangents here and there. But today we decided to do a topic of craft. Everything's craft coming up. The boom of craft beers, now craft distilling, craft cocktails, craft um, soap. You find that craft, craft everything. Craft buttons. Yeah. Craft toques. Ooh, have craft toques on yeah. craft buttons. Yeah. I mean, this is not a. I wouldn't say this is a new trend. Yeah. Craft, craft in general, but yeah. definitely spirit, uh, spirits and brewing in, in Alberta. Yeah. So basically, I think that the craft um, explosion happened. It started with cocktails. Right, because this was ten plus years ago in Red Deer, anyway. So maybe twenty years ago in the big cities, that you know the Dale DeGroff and the Gasbergens kind of brought it back to the real thing, and then the craft cocktails boomed. And oddly enough, I think the craft beer movement happened after that, and then the craft distilling. You know, you kind of yeah, you kind of yeah. think that our order is a bit mixed up, but well, know. like craft craft spirits definitely have yet to really really take off. I mean, we, we don't have that many distilleries in uh, Alberta at the time, but I'm interested to see if more breweries start to distill kind of like Trouble Monk did. I heard uh, there's about 18 uh, distilleries slated to open up in the next two years. Oh, yeah, so, so there, well, there mean, we are. It's, like it's, it's already starting to pick up. Yep. Yeah. You know, like there's a new one all the time that I'm unfamiliar with and I haven't had a chance to check out and taste. So I think there's a lot of, a lot of growth happening. Probably the spirit side of things is looking a lot like beer did two or three years ago, you know, where it was just like everybody was slated to open soon. And, and now, now we're actually enjoying the fruits of a lot of those breweries. And then probably three, four years from now, we'll be enjoying a lot of those distilleries products as well. So, yeah, I think, um, and we were talking about, is it saturated? Is it, uh, is it going too far? Cause I was talking to Eric from trolley five in Calgary okay. and he was saying how, it, there's there's about at the time two months ago there three months ago forty five breweries in Calgary alone. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, and there's only about thirty in New York City, which is wow. Like, I didn't know that. Unbelievable. That's, that is unbelievable. They just have different laws and rules and yeah. all that kind of stuff. But um, he, he was saying it's so hard now because to get into a, a liquor store, they only have a certain amount of shelf space. Yep. So everyone that you get, you, you basically get one row. And, yeah. you know, the big you know, Molson Labatt, they have half the store because they pay them. And then 
these little guys here try out my can you try selling my beer and like, well we have no room so it's kind of tough I, I think that kind of goes down to the consumer as well um, you see you see different beers that that come out that you might want to try and trying to find those can be so hard because every store just has this one section of craft and it changes constantly yeah and I think personally I think it's scary as a consumer because you go in and you know it's also a really good time to be a uh, graphic designer yeah <laughs> because oh, yeah. oh my god every can is you know such we we're talking about such crazy names and artwork and everything but it tells you nothing about the beer and i'm not and especially that the craft is so expensive so i'm not going to go and drop 16 dollars on a four pack of something i don't know yeah right you know so then i'm like i'm get confused it's like too many choices and then i grab a you know pbr and go home and, and you touch on something interesting i find a lot of people who drink craft beer as well kind of instead of and i'm i'm, I'm not speaking for everyone and i think there's a uh, a large proportion of people who will try craft beer and they'll find you know they'll try five and they found one that they like and then they just go for that one yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, they're kind of like, cool, I, I like craft now, that's good enough, and I'm just going to stick with, you know, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and so that also plays into what we're talking about. If, if, if a brewery is coming up and they get their one sleeve and you, you're their one little row and you go in and you're, oh, that's not the beer I was looking for, I'll go elsewhere. Or I'll settle for a PBR or I'll, you know, whatever, because I know which craft I like, but I'm not willing enough to explore everything that's all going on to find all yeah exactly so that when you do go in and you look at 17 rows of craft beer if that's as many as they get which often there isn't you're like oh i know there's one though, based on what i already know that i like yeah well but i think it's just i think it, there's also some blame to be laid on like that i don't know i would say maybe government legislate those liquor stores a little bit more legislate if you know because the government had a very large hand in opening things up for the little guy but then it's like yeah go ahead pay the taxes on your business build these spaces pay your rent stimulate the economy up until the point where you're trying to actually make money back from your product at that point you're on your own to fight in bev and molson mm -hmm. yeah that's not going to work what, like and, and and you know the marketplace is, is definitely there are a lot of breweries competing for that space mm -hmm. and they're not doing anything to say well okay Molson cut it down a bit or liquor stores you can't just be bought mm -hmm. you have to save <clears throat> space for local it, it's kind of interesting that that we talk about this like how Labatt's have like half a store and stuff but we're still getting pretty decent selections of craft on like any mom-and-pop local liquor store and it's so Usually, much better yeah. than what we had even four years ago. Oh, for sure. So if we keep, like, I, I want us to keep pushing this trend uh, and hopefully we can start to take a bigger chunk of the big guys. I'm, I'm a small business guy. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's very interesting what's happening right now with how many beers are on this market and the consumers who are into them. I, as a brewer myself, I know what styles I like. I know what breweries I like. I know what hops I like. It can still be overwhelming to go to some liquor stores and be like, "I have, I've never heard of any of these. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know what I like." So I could only imagine for a consumer who doesn't quite have their taste figured out as much as I do, how that that selection must be. It's yeah. probably pretty scary, I'd say. Well, yeah, and I mean, you don't spend the same amount of time in a liquor store that you do when you're grocery shopping, for example, right? So people don't feel inclined to spend 45 minutes 
you know, looking at their phone, checking the recipes. Oh, what is this? I'll look it up, you know. Mm -hmm. They go into the liquor store, they're coming out within about five minutes. Yep. So they don't have the time on premise to get the education at the liquor store. Right. So they either go in knowing what they want and knowing what they like, or they end up leaving with something that they already know that they like. You, yeah. you know what I mean? I don't know. It's it's an interesting prospect. I agree with you though. It we're like selection is much better now. But the question is, is the space for the the local smaller brews equivalent to what they're like, I think the government does really want these small producers to come up, but is the space that's available for them enough for the amount of them coming up when they have to start eating each other just to like, you know, get on top to be seen. That's a sad thing. They sh we should celebrate that. Mm -hmm. I think anyway, we should celebrate it more so because these are the people that are getting up every day to make the stuff. Right. And they, they're like our neighbor. Yeah. And I, I think it's, well, the, the whole corporate capitalist thing is, you know, that Molson Labatt, they have, they've, they've well established, you know, they've, they paid off their equipment hundreds of years ago. Um, oh, yeah. So they can sell a buck of beer. Yeah. But these, you know, small, small guys that are just coming up, they have, you know, I don't know however many thousand, hundred thousand, thousands of dollars of loans that they need to pay off. That's why, you know, you go to the tap room and it's exciting and everything, but still the, it's $7 a pint. Oh, yeah, for um, sure. You know, so yeah. you're talking bar prices at it. At it. Yeah, at when it. it's when it it's brewed on the other side of the window. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So it's kind of I think that deters a lot of people just the price point because like we were saying we don't know what's in those cans. I'm not going to drop 14 bucks for a six pack or something when right. I when I can just you know maybe I'll go to a friend's house and he'll have some and I'll just take some of his. But yeah, I think people are like it's it's coming along. It is, and, and I don't blame them for charging those prices, but that's just one of the obstacles that they have oh, to get Oh, for sure, yeah. And I think that's the thing is, you know, it, and it's not just beer. It's spirits and it's cocktails and it's bars and red. The whole hospitality <clears throat> industry in general is kind of, there's always that corporate versus private yeah. on everything. Yeah. And But <clears throat> the, the thing is, is that the industry has been around for so long and it's been structured in such a way for such a long time little guys are always going to be at a disadvantage. Yeah. You know what I mean? The big breweries are counting on the fact that seven bucks at the tap room uh, is going to, they're like, Haha, yeah, you're going to have to charge that just to keep up. And you need a tap room. Yeah. You know, you, I challenge you to go to, well, I guess you could probably go to have the Budweiser experience wherever the hell Budweiser's sure. brewed or one of its many dis breweries yeah. or whatever. But it's not going to be the same as a, I, like, you know, going to Troubled Monk or going to Red Heart or going to any of those places and actually meeting the people that are making it. Yeah. Now, one interesting thing that I think we should bring up at this point is uh, the fact that um, Wild Rose just got purchased by um, InBev, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. And I've also, at a local liquor store, I can't remember who it was, uh, but it was like a big uh, light lager producer, I actually had a hazy IPA in cans. And I was I was very intrigued by it. Clearly, the big guys are paying attention to what the smaller guys are doing. Yeah, they they're clearly noticing a difference. Oh God, yeah. Percentage wise, it's it's pretty low. I know back when I started in the industry, I was think I think it was sitting around four percent. Doesn't sound like that much, but you're talking like a multi billion dollar industry. It's a ton of money coming out of those guys, right? Mm. And, and I'm sure that that percent has risen a lot in the past couple of years. 
Well, I think I remember a few years ago, five years ago or something, Molson Canadian tried a, an unfiltered beer. And they, you know, they were trying to, we can do craft beer too. Look, it's just unfiltered. And it didn't last long. Like it came well, and what went the fuck very is quickly. that? What what the hell? That like that's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard. <laughs> well, we're like we're just gonna not. Oh, they like they like they like stuff that isn't bud, huh? Or was it Canadian? Yeah. You said Canadian? yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, they don't like Canadian anymore. Fucking quit filtering it. Yeah. Well, no, that'll bring them back. Well, the same with the side. They tried the cider. You know. Oh, oh, the cider's hot. Here comes the Molson cider. And it, that I think that came and went too. But so they realized that, yeah. like, okay, well, we don't know how to make craft beer, so let's just buy them up. Let's buy up Wild Rose. Let's buy up Granville. Mm. You know? Yeah, Granville's so, another good example. Oh, yep. Granville's a great, and it's. But the, this is the thing: is that it happens in absolute total secrecy. Yeah. Because they, that's that's exactly what they, you know, they don't they don't have to brew it themselves. Yeah, they just go in and they buy it all up, very hush hush. They make the brewers sign non compete agreements. So that they can't just go next door and compete with them with the same recipes. They're mm-hmm. like, we'll buy everything. Now, fuck off. And the brewers, to their credit, I mean, who the hell wouldn't? Oh, I mean, that's you yeah. made it. Yeah. You just sold yeah. your brewery like Granville Island. I don't know what the sale price was, but guaranteed it was hefty. Oh, so yeah. they're doing this. And essentially, that's like our friends and our neighbors making it. But at the same time, it also, I think, kind of feeds into the problem. Yeah. Where I... I yeah, do you do you think that many of these craft brewers coming up and just starting are kind of really hoping to be bought out by the big guys? That's an interesting question. Yeah, it is. I don't know. Um, I, I don't think so. I just like to me that's putting a lot of hope in in you're kind of putting all your eggs in one basket. And in this industry, you see a lot of passion. And I don't, I just don't see you being like, I'm going to start a brewery, like take, uh, you know, hundreds of thousand dollars worth of loans and a lot of risk and be like, hopefully Budweiser notices me because I really need to sell this place. I can't fucking stand making beer, but well, it's, and I mean, they're going to come a knocking, but whenever there's money, there's Oh, that I, I would people, say it's probably split between two camps. There's probably some people that are like, fuck yeah, you know, I can sell this. And then there's other people who genuinely just want to spend the rest of their lives making beer. Yeah. So as long as they can pay their mortgage, pay the rent on the facilities, pay their loans back, they're happy. Well, don't you think that the people in Wild Rose wanted that same thing? Lagunitas out of, out of uh, mm. California. Yeah. They're huge. Yeah. They yeah. got bought out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They've been around for a long time too, but I mean. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't, I've never heard a story of someone saying no. Well, I mean, that's that's the thing about about these big uh, beer conglomerates. They can or- offer you a price that you can't say no to. You yeah. can either continue to make beer, which is not a very easy industry to make it in. You've got a lot of stress and hassle to worry about and a lot of money. Or you can take this great big offer and be like, I can do whatever I want. I can live my dream life yeah. now, basically. Yeah. But then the concern becomes, do we move 50 years from now? And, you know, the selection in all of our liquor stores and our bars is this amazing, you know, wonderful thing, but it has domestics and it has crafts and all of that. But in 50 years time, there are no new craft breweries and all of the craft breweries have been purchased by Molson and InBev. And we're right back to square one because over time, what are they going to do? Fuck it all up. They're just going to slowly make all (laughs) of those craft beers shittier and cheaper and less, you know, uh hands-on there's gonna be like yep yeah, cool you you know you love like uh 
I don't know, like, what's that, like, something that you really enjoyed? We liked that Aloha. Oh, the, uh um, Yeah, from so, uh, Kona Brewery. Yeah, and they're oh, like, we're, so we're going to take it up a bit. We're going to start, uh, you know, I don't know, big. like, a, yeah. I know, but I'm, like, some of the smaller guys, you know, yeah. and then all of a sudden now, you know, Pesky Pig or, or, or Signing 14's facility is 18 acres. And well, you're like, what the, f-? and they're like, yeah, it's all a computer, this is Hal. <laughs> our, lead, our lead brewer. Welcome now, to the distillery. One, uh, one interesting thing to that is these big brewers who brew mostly light lagers for, light, light right. for the most part, right. they are incredibly good at one thing, and that is light lagers, and they brew them super consistently every time. In the, like This is kind of a sad truth, and it's kind of the price you have to pay with, with some craft beer, is you cannot reproduce the same beer to that level because... They, they, the big guys just have so many resources and they, they can do so much testing on the malt and on the hops and stuff. Whereas these little craft brewers, we, you know, pay half our wallet out to get some hops in and we can't afford to say, oh no, these aren't, you know, this has too much alpha acids in it or anything like that. It's, it'd be interesting to see like with Wild Rose, if their beers get more consistent, not that they were super inconsistent, they were pretty good about their stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I'm interested to see what happens there. I want to continue to try their beer, see, see what happens on that, on that front. Yeah. And, and the whole topic, by no means do I, uh, um, begrudge them for selling. Like if I was a brewer oh, no and way. someone came and said, here's seven figures. Yep. Totally. I'm, here's the keys. I'm gone. Absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, you know, that's pretty standard. Yeah. It's like, it's a lottery ticket really. I guess that kind of moves us into like craft spirits. Okay. Like things are coming up. Yep. Um, uh, the craft spirits. I, um, I was reminded when we were talking about uh, the beers being expensive, and of course, now distilleries, craft distilleries, they're coming up and they're like, "Hey, we're a mom and pop. Try my vodka. It's fifty-two dollars a bottle." I'm not going to do that. Sorry. Like I'll, you know, I'll maybe go to your tasting or something like that. But I think the most most average Joe and Jane people can't decipher the difference between Smirnoff, if, if they're to at home mixing it in their Caesars. I think the craft distilleries, are they have a much steeper uphill battle. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because it, with vodka in particular, usually the big guys, they'll filter it seven times kind of thing. Where, you know, I worked in a Troubled Monk. I was part of the distilling team there to, to some extent. You can't you can't like filter it seven times or triple distill it and stuff and still make money on it. It's just it's uneconomical, and so I have found like some craft spirits to be pretty hot and and like just a little funky. Yeah, and you know how can I rationalize paying fifty two dollars for this bottle of vodka when you can look at like a more like high not high end brand but mid range brand like Ellsbury Duck mm. and it's what. 34, 36, something like that, yeah. I'd say. And it's, I'm pretty sure it's triple distilled and seven times filtered. Yeah. Or even Jeffrey Morgenthaler's experiment of uh, taking the lowest of the low quality vodka you can and just passing it through a Brita filter a few times and then it matches up with Grey Goose and it's just fine, you know. So you can always life hack it, but I mean, yep. Um, you can't do that with whiskeys and rums and no. gins, obviously, but we'll yeah. see about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to buy a Brita filter on my way home. What what I find um, kind of troublesome in the craft industry or the craft spirit industry or the spirit industry in general is how regional stuff gets, and it's kind of like that with with 
most alcohol, to be honest. Like, you got champagne from Champagne France and cognac from cognac and Armagnac from et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but so for us to make a rum in Alberta, we have to ship molasses in from the uh, Caribbean. Mm. We can legally call it rum. That's one of the easier ways to, like, dodge that. But there, there there's some that, like... We can never make a champagne or anything like that. Or, uh, you know, you could look at regional stuff like scotch, right? Yeah. Well, Not that we have the environment. And I do like the regionality of it because you can kind of there, – there's there's tradition to it. And I do, I do enjoy that. But it's also kind of hard to navigate this world in that, in that sense. Well, I think that that's a good point because the thing I like and I think most people like about craft everything is that it's local. You know, local barley, local hops, everything. Right. So I think someone in uh, the prairies, in Red Deer, should, I I just personally think, don't do a rum. Just, you don't have to offer it all. Just don't do a rum. Okay. If it's, if it's that To me, I I don't, I don't understand why the, why that, I, yeah, I don't get that. You know, I, I, like, if, if, if someone told me that there was going to be a Cachaca distillery opening up in, in central Alberta or Toronto, or yeah. Vancouver, it, I wouldn't make any sense. What What is wrong with, because alcohol in general, be it wine, beer, spirit, is so intertwined with the human story, like our evolution mm. and our society, that's one of those really nice things. And it comes back around again to that, you know, yes, we're looking at a 52 to $55 bottle of vodka or gin or whatever. And while on one side that's a challenge and it's a hard pill to swallow occasionally, it's the same reason we pay more money for vegetables at the farmer's market. It's the same reason that we buy jams that, you know, we're like, well, I can make this myself or I can do the It's just about that local economy and that almost like sharing economy of, of like, you know, it's not a barter system, but the guy with the vegetables will you know, sell those. And then in turn, he'll walk down to the next stall and buy a bottle of gin and so on and so forth. And that's something that's very much been removed from our culture, at least in North America, especially in the prairie regions. We're getting it back to an extent now, but I think it's nice to be able to buy at least one bottle from every local distillery. I, I always, I'm like, yeah, sit, that's sweet, I want to try it. Because I hope that if I made some, someone would buy it too. But occasionally, like going back to that funk thing, you know, there are there are products from all over the world that when compared to the standards so if we're talking like vodkas or gins or whatever when you get into some of the more bizarre craft style stuff that's when you start finding um that people don't want to switch because it's not they started out liking smirnoff or they started out liking um you know gray goose or whatever it might have been so to get them to switch on to something that's different or say a vodka made with barley that's going to be something entirely different you can't mm. just erase barley from the mix i mean you can technically if you're really really good at distilling but there's a difference there right um yeah i don't know i think that's that's one of the other things for people is that they can't just take that more expensive bottle and swap it in for what they're paying less for Mm -hmm. they have to completely relearn how to use it and why it tastes the way it does and what it might mix with and that's a lot yeah a a lot lot of people aren't willing to to go that far like as far as we are where you know we can taste three different gins and we can think of three different ways we'd use those based on their, uh, their flavor profile. Most people, they don't, they don't want to have to do that. They don't no. do that anyhow. Yeah. They just say, 
you know, Sheringham Seaside Gin, one of my favorite gins, absolutely phenomenal, makes a great gin and tonic, mm -hmm. um, but a lot of it is lost in a gin and tonic, truly. Right. As a, a, you know, as a consumer, sometimes I have to say, why do I have to use my $50 bottle of gin for a gin and tonic when I could use Beefeater? That's half the price. Right. Like, yeah. it's, it's, I understand, like, the people's, like, having a hard time committing fully to craft like that because it's, it's so expensive. Well, yeah. And so, a lot of people are doing it, which I, I applaud them. And for the most part, I am, like. Yeah. You'll see some big brand spirits at my house because everyone, like, you have to. Like, I have lemon heart rum, of course. But I also have a lot of local stuff. Now, on the topic of how you were saying, uh, Seth, that not everyone has to do a rum. I think Righan did kind of a smart play on this. And they did a brum, they called it, which was a beet rum. Um, and that, that was just an interesting kind of, like, riff on it, yeah. I thought. I was, I was very intrigued by it. It's a pretty good product, too. Well, I had one, uh, I can't remember the distillery. It's from Vancouver Island. Um, they had what they called Honey Shine. So it was made, you know, they used honey. It was in the rum style, but they just didn't call it rum. They called it like Honey Moonshine. Yeah. Not Moonshine, because that was... Yeah, that's... It's, you know, they're thing. a little better than that. But, uh, yeah, just Honey Shine, and it was, it was like rum, but it was delicious. So you, you kind of... Was, was that Wayward? No, I don't remember. It wasn't Wayward. Divine? Maybe it was Divine. Not too sure. When I was at Bose Bar and Grill, they're very focused on local everything, local beers mm -hmm. um, on tap, a million of them. We had all these distillers, craft distillers coming by and saying, here's our new product, so try it out. And so we, it was really good, so we'd carry it. And then eventually we thought, well, since we're craft, uh, we, we don't sell the big, you know, we don't sell, sell Stella and all that kind of stuff. They do a couple of coolers and things because they're paid to and obviously money talks yep. but we said why not just get rid of all of our macro gins and vodkas so we got rid of all the beef eater and tanqueray and everything gray goose and just replaced it with alberta um so we had you know six rums six or sorry sorry six gins six vodkas and a lot of people were receptive to it but if they they would come up and say i want a, a goose and coke well, actually, we don't have uh, Grey Goose anymore. We offer just local everything. And there were a couple of people that kind of got pissed about it. Yeah. And I think if you are getting a t like a tall Goose and Coke, you're just buying into the marketing of it and the brand recognition. Has Grey Goose ever even fucking tried to market itself with Coke? Is that a thing? Is no, I like, just just Grey Goose. So they like saying Grey Goose. Like, oh, I need Grey Goose in my cola. Well, they were specifying the brand that they wanted. Yeah, kind of, it's, it's, yeah, like, I know. It always is like, and it, I mean, all all the power to you. You drink what you like, but yeah. I, I think if you're just putting vodka in a cola, man, you could probably chill on what you're putting in there. It doesn't really matter. Well, that's the but same that's, with the and, with uh, Captain Morgan. Captain Morgan spice rum drinkers are the most um, enslaved. Customers, uh, I his agree crew? to that. <laughs> what? They're his crew. Oh, there you go. See? No. I'm trying yeah. to stage a mutiny. <laughs> uh, Captain Coke. Actually, we have uh, Sailor Jerry, Kraken, on the, all these other spice rums. Ah, uh, no, I'll have a course. Okay, cool. That's yeah, those too. rums are so unacceptable to me that I'm going to change my whole fucking drink right yeah. now. Yeah. Screw it. Coors and clam. Coors and clam. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, another one of uh, the questions that I had written out. Um, that I'd like to hear your guys' opinion on is what role as bartenders we play in furthering this craft boom. 
Um, how do we turn more consumers onto it? How do we turn more? Oh, I, shit. How do we? Well, I think I, I'm million dollar question. You, I you bet you a first. lot of people would pay you for it. <laughs> well, I think uh, it's the same way craft cocktails were such a really hard sell in the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, To the Lost here was the first um, cocktail bar in a city of 100,000. And it was, uh, it was a tough sell because people are, I don't know, they're just so new and you, you can't really make them change their mind until they really try it about five times. <laughs> It's like a Guinness drinker. Yeah. Guinness and, and Negronis. Or Campari. Yeah. 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 So, like, the first three times you hate, you've had it, you hate it. After yeah. that, you're a lifelong drinker. So, I think, uh, for a city that has been born and bred on uh, uh, Bud and Canadian, it's it's really, it, it's been really tough. But craft beer is easy now, because everyone, everyone knows it. Everyone's had craft beer. Yeah. Craft spirits are a tougher sell. Yeah. Because the palates of the regular drinkers aren't as refined as yep. I would say as ours, because we we spend all our time tasting these things, yep. and they're also not drinking them straight. Yeah. So you have to say, well, this the, for like a gin martini, this gin will do this or that, you know. Yeah. Um, and then they'll just say, okay, I'll have one of those dirty, and then they'll screw it all up, you know. Yeah, no, not the dirty. Well, one thing that you brought up, and this drives me absolutely insane, is we have a drink on our menu called Plants and Animals. I'm sure you know of it. I'm sure you've made a hundred of them before. Um, No, I think that was after my day. No? Oh, wow. Was it? I I can't remember. That was like the first recipe I I ever learned. It was like, it's burnt into my brain. I asked Neil Brinker, he came in not too long ago, I was like, what's Plants and Animals? And he he added off the bat. Um, But a lot of people... uh, you know, they kind of, it's a $13 cocktail and people go, why am I paying $13 for this? And it, it drives me nuts because I'm like, okay, it's a double. So you're paying six fifty an ounce, which is, you know, a pretty standard industry price. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you go down to the bar just down from us, uh, a double Captain Morgan's and Coke is thirteen forty nine, I believe. Yeah. And we are using... Premium spirits, we are pressing juice daily, lime juice and orange juice, lemon juice, which I've ran numbers on. It is not cheap at all. Like, Mm -hmm. pressing juice is so expensive, but it's so necessary. And people are always kind of like, ooh, expensive cocktails here. And I'm like, well, it seems that way. But when you break it down and you you consider what you're paying for, they're not. They're industry standard at the very least. And then we go on top, and we we typically use a bit better brands of spirits, and again, like oh, the fresh man, pressed yeah. juice, house made syrups, uh, bitters. Like you don't see a lot of bitters in Red Deer, even unfortunately. Mm-hmm. You know, Bose has some, uh, Sweet Capones has some going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's you're starting, starting to, to see come around, more. Which is so sick. Yeah, it's yeah. so nice to see. Yeah, I, I mean, it's funny too because I've I've seen it from that side, like being behind the bar dealing with. Uh, guests and just you know having those interactions it's like well this is why the price point is where it is but then I do go to other bars and restaurants and things like that and when I'm out drinking I'm like whoa this is pricey yeah. you know it would be like a, like a one ounce old fashioned for nine bucks oh. and I'm like this is this is wrong this is bizarre but I think a lot of the, the businesses and the larger establishments that are sort of dabbling in it have no clue exactly what it's supposed yeah. to look like and then they're also because they're dabbling, they don't want to risk 
putting a low price drink on and having it take off and they're not making as much as they'd like mm-hmm. to off of it. So they're like, oh, okay, well, you know, for one ounce, it's this. And that's more of the corporate structure. I actually think a lot of the, whether it's Calgary, Edmonton, Red Deer, the, the privately owned bars give you a better deal on your alcohol almost every time. Yeah. yeah. Every time. Well, that's the bigger companies are the ones that are really turning the screw on when you go in, whether it's a pint of their beer which, if you knew what their actual beer was, you wouldn't pay that price for it. You know, I don't know how many bars in Alberta have AGD as their own signature blonde with a different fucking label on it. Piss off with that shit. One you know? like, yeah, yeah. One thing uh, again with to the lost. If you come here and you you're getting our specials, pretty much every day of the week you can get a double for eight dollars. You're paying four dollars an ounce. Yeah, that's pretty and good. that's a great that's, that's a great reasonable. price when you're mm-hmm. considering we're doing margaritas that use an ounce of lime juice and it's it's like a buck an ounce. Yeah, and I think a little bit of prohibitive juice. pricing is important, just keeping people from dying. Well, that yeah. that too, but I mean, <laughs> everyone screams about uh, Hudson's three, four, five promotion, which I don't fully I don't understand, understand the scope of. Uh, Hudson's they do this promotion; it's like three, four, or five, and I think you like it's it's different liquors, and at three o'clock you can get. Like Jameson's for three dollars, and then uh, at four o'clock you can get oh, right. Jaeger for four dollars, and then I don't okay. know the exact brands. Okay. I don't know, um, but everyone screams about that promotion. Yeah. While down the road over here, we're offering eight dollar margaritas that are doubles, yeah. and people are being like, "You guys are kind of pricey, aren't you?" Yeah, yeah cause I'm like, mm-hmm. because it's this. It's like two inches of drink yeah. opposed to six on their. You, they just—it's yeah perception. perception. Yeah. Oh yeah, but I think and, you, you go to any any restaurant uh, that's a mom and pop. It's usually cheaper. Yeah, you know, go to Earl's and your salad, a, a meatless salad, is twenty bucks. <laughs> you know, but a you, meatless salad, fuck yeah, you're right. So you can go to a, a a neighborhood joint and it's cheaper, but you pay for the atmosphere, right? So well, that's it again. Yeah, that's I mean. And, and it goes for any bar, really. That, that's why we go out. Yeah. I, I mean, when you look at the amount of people in a restaurant at any given time, in this city, how many people are sitting, eating brunch, drinking beers, whatever it is they're doing, watching football right now, there's probably easily 15,000 people doing that in this city at this very minute. Yeah. If they were all just in their houses, I mean, I think this country would have a pretty massive drinking problem. I mean, they probably don't drink as much at the bar as they would in their own home. Yeah. And it's that social aspect of it, right? I don't know. It's, uh, yeah. But I think back to kind of the question that Eric asked is that how do we further the craft movement as kind of frontline workers, I guess you could call it, like the people in the trenches? Mm-hmm. Do, you, do Have you touched on that yet? How do you, no. how do you do that? I mean, because you're at State, you guys have craft. Yeah. How do you... But you also have a large, uh, like, macro presence. Yeah, we don't. So how do you find a balance between those things? By now, I think everyone is so used to craft, and they know that Red Deer has, you know, five or six breweries now. So they they see the tap. Oh, what do you have on tap for these guys or that guy? And then I just say, okay, I'll have one of that. You know, it's I, Brand when we started, we had to do a, a little bit of... Oh, what do you have on tap for a lager? Actually, we've got 18 taps and we only have one lager. But how about this? You know, I, I really suggest to try these guys. They're new. Everyone likes local. So you, you hit them with the local first. Support a local business. 
and then you hit them with, uh, it's not going to scare you, and and then the money-back guarantee. Mm, yeah. These guys, local, they're awesome. They just set up uh, on the north end of town. Um, this it, this drink is very much, it, it's kind of like this or that, with a little bit more hops or something. And if you don't like it, I'll just you know get you something new. And then that usually sells everyone every time. Um, so just a quick interruption here. We all, we all brought some beers to try, um, some of our favorite craft beers. So this is Matthews. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the, the brewery and whatnot? Are we doing that one or these ones? <laughs> is this one? Uh, that one. No. Well, I didn't. I was going to. I was. I. Yeah, I just didn't crack any of the ones we brought because we I thought we were going to talk about them first. And I we're double fisting. We also fisting. needed a beer. Okay. Oh, I see. That's why I didn't bring those around. I know it kind of was a weird move. But, uh, yeah. but you need a beer. She, she works in mysterious ways. I brought uh, Ransack the Universe Hemisphere IPA from Collective Arts. Brewing. I redlined. No, that's all right. That's yeah. all right. You hear that was a red line from that can? <laughs> yeah, Collective Arts is a brewery in, uh, in Ontario that I've always really liked. I love the names uh, of their beers. And they, they contract local artists to do the work for their cans. So they always kind of stand out to me. In the liquor store, just a beautiful, beautiful I, IPA. I want to know if they give their artists a cut, or if this is promotion work. Yeah, I hope it's not just uh, well exposure. I mean, on on one end, that is a lot of exposure. You're talking nationwide exposure, but I I agree with you where I'd like to see these artists being um, <laughs> being compensated properly. Yeah. Like I feel every everyone should. That's that's why it's partially why you're doing it. I, I believe that art, like the artists, probably yeah. love their job. I've uh, I've just said because I've had uh, a couple people over the years approach me. Can you bartend our fundraiser? Mm. It doesn't pay, but it's good exposure for you. For That's, what? Yeah. Well, yeah, I but I mean, one fundraiser that you're talking, you know, in in Red Deer versus nationwide. Like, we're gonna take your art, print it on a can, and it's gonna go. To every you, province. But have you ever looked at the name of the artist on any can? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I do. I, I actually, actually do. Do you? Okay, yeah, you do. I, but I, the most people don't. Yeah, They're not okay. going to say, I'd like a print of this on my wall. They don't do that. They just kind of yeah. say, okay. Well, these, and I should point out because uh, it's really hard for anybody listening to this podcast to see the can. Try harder. But just in <laughs> case you're not successful, it's uh, really sick artwork. I mean, if you see these cans anywhere, pick them up. Because if you're a can put- collector... Or like yeah, like, I would put this on my wall, dude. And that's <laughs> it's awesome. Every case has like twelve different art pieces of art. Oh really? Like, if you got a case of twelve, you get twelve different artists' work. So, of the same kind of beer. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, I chose that one. Yeah. I picked my favorite. Fun. Yeah, they're like uh, you know collectibles, and I mean, I, there's a lot of especially craft beer kind of nerds and geeks who like to collect their cans and bottles and stuff. Yeah. I think I think uh, collective arts really really picked up on that well. They're almost like the Jones soda of craft beer. Yeah, yeah. kind of. Yeah. Submit a fucking photo. So what is it? What is it's IPA. It's an IPA. It's a hemisphere IPA they call it, and I don't know if that's a you you maybe you can take this away uh, a little better because well, I don't know what the hell that means. I think they're just calling it a hemisphere IPA to avoid this East Coast West or like the West Coast IPA thing where that was a big trend. And then people started like kind of riffing on it and being like, Oh, this is an East Coast and now people are kind of being like why do we have to be a coast? Why can't I just be the whole hemisphere yeah, kind okay. of thing? Well, you know, we got, is where I get that we got a beer in the other day, a, a new one that we we're carrying on tap. And they said, yeah, it's the North uh, New England Pale Ale. Okay, great. But I saw on the keg it said EC. 
And we d- dug and it said East Coast Paleo. I'm like, what's the difference? I don't, like, is there a difference? Am no. I going to get in trouble? Probably not. Slipping up? Okay. Like, it's it's probably just on the on the collar tag, which in a limited room, you normally the brewers are big goobers like me that can't write neatly, so... You know, gotta save save initials. Look at Eric's fucking hands, man. He can't, <laughs> he can't hold a pencil. <laughs> These hands were meant for shovels and hammers and mm. punching people. Yeah. Punching frozen uh, cows hanging in the freezer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, we, shall we have a sip of it? Let's do it. Yeah. yeah, okay. So, cheers. Cheers. Uh, uh, Smell you. You get a lot of beer on the nose. Wow! You'll know you're drinking a beer. I uh, I smell Galaxy and Mosaic hops for sure, because it says it on the can. Yeah, this should be a little colder. Well, I like I can I can definitely tell there's mosaic in there for sure. It's great fruity. It's pretty tasty. Yeah, it's a nice IPA. I really. It is. It the bitterness is like it. It's really nice. It's not. My mouth isn't drying out because of it. Um. But I can tell it's there. It, it, it's got the backbone that it needs. But it balances. Like, like, to me, there's a lot of tropical, a yep. lot of citrus, a lot of fun. Like, it's, it, to me, it's like a beach beer. Yeah, I would drink of. it at the beach. Yeah. Not that I ever go to the beach or swim or wear swimming shorts or anything like that. I don't really particularly like the sun or the outdoors. But if I were to go to one of those places... <laughs> I, I would be publicly yeah. intoxicated. No, if I... Yeah, <laughs> if, yeah, exactly. If I was to watch a movie about people going to the beach, this is the beer I would drink while I watch that movie. <laughs> oh, yeah? Is what I mean. That's, that's a more accurate representation of what I'm trying to say. Okay. Well, I don't know. It kind of depends on which. Like, if it's Baywatch, you're drinking Bud Light. You've got it. Oh, you have yeah. to. Yeah. I mean, you can't. Is there a connection that I'm missing? Is no, there, I'm just like, thinking they always kind of, product placement thing. You, but like, <laughs> no, I, don't, I, I have never no. saw another drunk is drowning. Get in the, there. The way the way that I I took that. That's the movie with um, the Rock. No, well, and then well, okay, not initially. Not, yeah, that's right. Okay, but the the recent ones, the Rock and uh, Zach Efron. Zach oh, Efron, and I kind yeah. of like. I kind of feel like they're the the big domestic of the acting industry. Yeah, I I think a beer with depth like this, you're not going to watch a movie with no depth like that. Maybe Steve Buscemi. I'd watch Steve Buscemi and drink this. Sure. In in anything. (laughs) Anything. I would love to see a remake of Baywatch starring Steve Buscemi. (laughs) No, no, hear me out. Hear me out. Steve Buscemi was a fucking firefighter. The guy can lift bodies. This guy is, I guarantee you, under all of the oddity, he's ripped. But can he lift two refrigerators? Can The Rock? Is it, did, is yeah. It, yeah. Rock, the Rock and Zach, Zach Efron both did it in the movie. Whether they they were actually full-size refrigerators, I don't know. Okay. Oh, so kind we're of... going to hit a big fat pause right here. <laughs> in the movie Baywatch, <laughs> Zach Efron and The Rock, for some... I mean, c- context is everything. <laughs> for some reason, I'm seeing a scene where it's like, Oh my God, those refrigerators! And they're fucking running into the water, pulling these fucking refrigerators out. Who's dumping these refrigerators in the bay? Yeah. And shouldn't they be saving lives? I need to get a sandwich. That lady's drowning, but there's a fridge in my way. But there's also (laughs) (laughs) someone dropped a fridge on my leg. (laughs) So why did they do it? I don't. It was. 
I was think, it a show of strength? Yeah, a yeah. They were okay. they were seeing who was the biggest, baddest, meanest guy on the block. I guess. What Zach Efron is supposed to lived as much as the Rock? Because I don't buy that. No, like, Zach Efron's like yeah. a, a fit guy, but he's not. He's not. He's not the Rock. Like he's no Dwayne Johnson. Who's Kay. gonna? Regardless, we should probably get back to alcohol yeah, and I don't bar. want to talk about that movie. Anymore, <laughs> well, I have some Googling to do. I'll tell you that much. Okay. I've got some things to figure out. Okay. Anyway, I think, I just feel like I would I would drink this beer watching um, Boyhood. Boyhood. What? Yeah. No? What's that? Oh, you got to watch Boyhood. It's a... Uh, Ethan Hawke, and uh, who's the guy that... Uh, oh, Jesus. Is Richard Linklater. Terrence Malaker? Richard Linklater. Oh, it's Richard. Okay. Yeah, it's the one that took, uh, like, a million years to film. Ten years. Right. Yeah. He didn't yeah. win an Oscar. No, should have. But it was nominated. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And he's starting another third, like, a 30-year movie. He's, what? Yeah. He's gonna How shoot, old shoot is a, Richard shoot Linklater? Oh, he's probably, like, 50. Okay, because I figured he was like, oh, good, dude. We should, all, we should, yeah, yeah, we should all be so, you know, bold. And I'll finish when I'm 110. And we'll get it to the editing room floor, and that'll be my ending. I don't know why I said boyhood. It's the only, I have, have my watching has been limited lately, you know. Mm. So. Well, personally, I think, um, I think I'd bring this beer to, like, a party. Just for the sole reason that. Not everyone loves IPA. This is a great IPA. Not everyone loves IPAs, though. And so no one steals your beer. It's the same reason why, like, bringing a bottle of peated scotch or peated whiskey yeah. in general to a party is a perfect idea because people taste it and they're like, oh, I'm never doing that again. Meanwhile, I love it. So When I was 18 going to the bars, I always drank gin and tonics because no one liked tonic. Yep. So they would never steal my drink or... You didn't have to worry about roofies back then. <laughs> People was just at the nightclub. Here, let me drink your drink. <laughs> we were Do very you have cheap. Don't worry about roofies. No. Not. Really. I don't think. I don't think it's no, a massive issue. Deer. No, no. Anyway. Was that like metal nights and shit? I can imagine you going to metal nights. Yeah. Mm. No, you just go where the drinks are cheap. Yeah, metal. You don't remember metal night? No. At catwalk. <laughs> no. I didn't go to catwalk. Fucking $8 jugs or whatever it was. And I mean, again, it was it was catwalk, so your jug that was three ounces or whatever it was was only like three quarters of an ounce. Not jug of beer. Jug of jug, jug of, of highball. High yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to throw another question back at us, bring us back up on, mm-hmm. on topic, and this kind of relates to what we were talking before we opened up the beers. What kind of spirits would we like to see being produced in Alberta? Um, wildlife just did an Amaro, super tasty. They've mm-hmm. also done bitters, and Last Best has done bitters as well now. Um, like cocktail bitters or like Campari style bitters? No, like cocktail. Okay. Like I think they both. I think Wildlife was a blood orange, and I think uh, Last Best was just orange bitters. Okay. Um, yeah. What, what would we like to see produced? We uh, we see whiskey coming from well, uh, Trouble Monk has their aging. Mm-hmm. Um, Strathcona's is aging. It should but be three years in June. And those other ones, they're going again. They're going to be super expensive. Yeah. Oh well. Look at Eau Claire's whiskey. It's ninety-four dollars. No age statement. Like I'm assuming it it's probably a so blend. Good. Um, it's pretty tasty. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a very tasty. You know, you're yeah. not mixing that. No, because it's again. I'm pretty sure it's a ninety-four dollar bottle. Yeah. Um, and I'm, but it, it's a. There's no age statement, so we can't. 
you know, it's hard to, to guess how old it is, it's but it's going to be it's six years. Six years. That's that's not bad then. That's like that's quite a while. It's older than I thought it would be. But Normal I mean, the requirement. Well, you can, and that and that's a lot. Of, like, I mean, well, I don't know what the angel share is in Canada, but that impressed me actually because you'd think that a small distiller in Alberta is like, let's, let's get, get it out. Yeah. yeah, three years in a day, boom, let's sell well, it. Well, I mean. Yes, and they're paying the bills. Vodka and gin pay the bills. Yeah, yeah. They don't sure. need to. They don't need to get it out because that'd be. I think that would be the wrong. It would be the wrong. Right? Yeah. But there's there are some people that I mean, have pushed out some product that have not been ready. Well, yep. I, well, but here's the thing: is the other the other thing that I find really really interesting is how many Alberta distillers are like want to taste our whiskey before we age it. Mm. No. Mm-hmm. The, I don't. Like a white dog spirit kind I, of. I don't really want to. Yeah. yeah no, no, it's no. Really. It's all right, and and I think. Uh, I will, you know, full disclosure, I haven't put enough time and effort into trying to work with, uh, you know, unaged rye or unaged, you know, whatever, it's usually rye here. It's a challenge. Yeah, it's hard. You know, there's a reason we age whiskey. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Flat out. There's a, there's a, a reason <laughs> that we do that. Because if we didn't need to, we probably wouldn't do it. It goes so far that somebody said that, no, you have to age it for three years. You don't just get to age it and be like, oh, that's done whenever it's done. Yeah. Three years, because yeah. that's that's when It'll we think that it's okay. It'll probably take about three years for it to be good enough for you to sell it. So we'll put the limit at three. Starting at three? Great. <laughs> but, but I mean, it's, it's, it's weird. Everybody seems to be like, do you want to see us naked? No, put the barrel on, please. Yeah. <laughs> so like, put the barrel on, and then we'll have a look at you once you've... <laughs> Spend some time in that barrel. That's that's how it's done. But it is kind of a neat time because you can take you can take uh, small casks if you have them at your house, or you can take uh, oak staves Huge. or mm-hmm. cubes or whatever, and you can kind of conduct experiments on on whiskeys before they're ready and do it you know smaller volumes, much quicker time period. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. I think they. I don't think they. I don't know. You can go further than that too. I've. Uh, I barrel age other people's spirits. Right now I'm barrel aging. Um, so I took some Taylor Flagate 10-year-old, put it on oak for a few days, like a lot of oak for a few days, uh, pulled the oak out. Now I'm doing uh, a, like a navy-proof gin just to see That's what fun. comes out. Yeah. I don't know. Those. It seems like it's probably going to be weird and funky, but let's see how it, how it turns out kind of thing. And you can do it... Um, I barrel aged um, a mezcal Negroni, an old fashioned, as well as uh, a, a unpeated Gang Ryan, just yeah. to see kind of how they go. And, and they all worked well. Yeah, they all that Gang Riot was so good, and that mezcal Negroni was perfect. Yeah. So we we're kind of running out of time ish if we want to keep it to a listenable length. So do you want to do those uh, the other beers? Yeah, sample? yeah, absolutely, we should. So the next beer is called Super Saturation. From Cabin, a relatively new brewery out of um, Calgary. It had a lot of hype around it, still does. Um, it's three very prominent home brewers. I believe it was three of them. I don't know their names or anything. But this is their New England Pale Ale. It's super good. Uh, I had it for the first time the other day, and it's uh, it stuck out in my mind pretty, pretty good. I love the... Um, Cabin is another uh, brewery that has great branding uh, oh yeah like this one is very it, it just looks to me like the old colorado rockies hockey uniforms of the 70s yellow orange red and 
blue. And this reminds me of a windbreaker. Yeah, sure. K-way. You tuck in around your waist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. ski. Oh yeah, yeah. With some glasses, sunglasses with the three bands. Of, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Now this um, this is a rather cloudy beer, although it it it's pretty appropriately cloudy. Uh, one thing about me is I absolutely cannot stand those fluorescent orange IPAs that you can basically eat with a fork. Like nothing bugs me more. This is it's it's cloudy, but it's uh it's more of a protein. There's also chunks. Yeah, there's there is some yeast there is some yeasties floating around in here, which I don't like to see, but but hey, that's where the flavor is. So it's a that's that's where the horrible flavor is, if you ask me. I hate yeast flavor. That's why I don't like saisons. Well, shout out to Cabin Brewing if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> they will not be a sponsor of ours. I didn't, I haven't even tasted it yet. It's so good. I I'm not afraid of yeast in drinks, you know, because I, you know, from my home brewing days, I would oh, drink. Oh, I drink your home brew. Yeah, I drink the yeast in my yeah. home beers. So, to me, like yeast produces something called phenolic. Uh, you taste it a lot in like saisons. It's typically more like either stressed out yeast or Belgian yeast, you and I cannot stand it. You you like it. I don't. Uh, I don't like the uh, phenolics. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, at all. Neither. Oh, I can't stand I'm it. I'm not. I that like, like. There's one strain of or style of beer that I I have a very hard time with. It's beers with Belgian yeast. Yeah. That, like that even I'm like oh, every time. Hefeweizen, saison, like blue cheese. <laughs> I love blue cheese. I, I love blue cheese too. But what I'm saying is, it almost has the same odd stinging. Not even stinging. Like burn. That's it's very often described like that. Like yeast, there's a yeast burn to it. There's an interest, yeah. And I mean, this doesn't have a lot of it. No. But when you're getting into to like wet beers and yeah. things, like Hogarden, mm, yeah, to yeah, me, yeah. Hogarden is an example of a beer that wasn't made right. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, I don't like, but that's my favorite thing. I know a lot of people who love wet beers. My wife's one of them. I think it's the Belgian in me that just likes it. A lot of people do, and it's it's. As a as a former brewer and as a bit of a home brewer, I try not to be too hard headed about it, and and realize that a lot of people do like that style. Mm, it, it, it's the same thing with me and like cherry flavoring, like uh, maraschino cherry or like the Fee Brothers cherry bitters. I just like that cherry flavor. I can't do it. Yeah, it's I don't bad. Want to go off, but Fee Brothers is just also fake tasting to me. Yeah, yeah, it is. It tastes like candy. It's just cherry yep. candy. Yeah, well, yeah. The, yeah I, I mean, mean, like, like, like the rhubarb bitters come yeah. again. Taste, yeah. taste the plum, rhubarb, and cherry all together, and you're like, Where, "What's the difference?" Well, yeah, wow. we we use a drink, uh, and we ran out of the rhubarb bitters, so we use the plum instead. And no one can. <laughs> okay, yeah. so I don't I don't agree with that at all. They're clearly three drastically different flavors, but the point of the matter about those three bitters is. They're all drastically artificial flavors. That, yes, that is yeah, true. Cher- I can I can blind taste test and tell you the exact difference between all three of them. Like yeah. without question, I can tell you what's plum, what's cherry, what's rhubarb. The problem is, cherry isn't cherry, rhubarb isn't rhubarb, and plum isn't plum. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck they well, are, <laughs> but they're not those flavors. Mm-hmm. Like if you think about a rhubarb bitters, ought to be bitter. Rhubarb is bitter. Is bitter. Yeah. Bitters are bitter. 
And somehow you've made something that I could probably just sit there, crack the cap on, and like lick at while I'm watching a movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, That's and I mean, like, bitters, you know, for example, take fee- taste the Fibros and the Dylan's rhubarb bitters that we have here side by side, and it's like night and day. Yeah. But like, just any gen, any bitters in general, like Fee Brothers, it comes in handy at times. Like I, I use it. Because they have obscure flavors that nobody else really has. Like, for example, black walnut bitters. Well, I know for I, there's probably other bitter producers that have that. But if you taste bitters and they're usually quite alcoholic, they're quite bitter. So they're hot and bitter and they've got some, a lot of complex flavors going mm-hmm, on. Mm-hmm. Fee Brothers is here is one flavor that is definitely considered the flavor that they're advertising. You know where Fee Brothers and does a great thing is not bitter. They're an easy bridge between people who've never tried bitters mm. before and then people who want to try natural bitters. Do yeah. you know? Because that's that's the big difference. Is like, of course, people love Fee Brothers, and of course, Fee Brothers are almost in every cocktail bar in the world. I guarantee you, yep. because what they allow you to do is introduce an element of that artificial flavor that everybody's so used to already. Mm. Right? That's that fake cherry. Yep. Sure. There's a lot of people out there, especially like 18 year olds and stuff, who probably wouldn't be able to identify the difference. Or, well, they wouldn't be able to identify if you muddled a real fresh cherry in a drink. But those cherry bitters stand Still out noticed. like a, like yeah. a spotlight. Yeah. So, okay, you know, you're drinking cherry Coke. You yeah. probably like artificial cherry. Yeah. yeah. You're going to like artificial cherry in a drink. Yep. You know, is it ideal? Are companies like uh, like Bittered Sling and Dylan's and, and, and um, you Bitter know, Apothecary? Those companies are using real ingredients. Their flavors, in certain circumstances, aren't quite as pronounced and aggressive and artificial and aromatic and almost perfumey. So you either have to use more or you have to use them in the proper application. Fee Brothers, you can dump that shit. That's like Frank's hot sauce. Do you know what I mean? But, oh, it's cherry as fuck. You know, wow. Yeah, that's right. So this beer... What movie would you watch drinking it? Oh, what movie would I watch? Inherent Vice. Oh, yeah. yeah? Inherent Vice, nice. yeah. Or Burn After Reading. Okay. Have so you seen Inherent Vice? No, but I've seen Burn After Reading. Fucking, you need to watch Inherent Vice. Or, wait for it, <clears throat> Boogie Nights. Mark yeah. Wahlberg's dick. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good Saturday, I suppose, for some people. <laughs> so it's a super can. Okay, so the last beer we're going to try... Is uh, Blind Man Brewing's Icarus Imperial Stout. Um, That's why I got the port glasses, port style glasses. Because have you had this one? Yes. Yes. I'm I'm, like I'm sure we all have. Yeah. Blind Man's a pretty you know they've been around for years and they're a pretty prominent part of the community. I I would say that this is probably my second favorite beer ever. What's your first? Uh, West Butter and Twelve. Oh, I've never even heard of West Vletteren 12? West of Vletteren 12? West Vletteren. It is Belgian. Okay. Quick. Oh, that makes oh. sense. Okay. okay. Yeah. Quick story. Makes way West Vletteren is a uh, monastery in Belgium, mm-hmm. and the the, uh, the monks brew beer. Yep. But they, you can only get it at the Abbey. Oh. Or I've heard a bar across the street, or like in the same town. Okay. But that's it. And every... So often they will only sell the beer outside of the Abbey if they need to raise money to renovate the Abbey. Hey. Sherbrooke Liquor in Edmonton put out a big thing saying, everyone, West Lettering is 
releasing a beer for the first time in like a decade or something. If you want some, we need a $50 deposit. We don't know how much it's going to cost and we don't know how much we're getting. So the monks just released a whole bunch of beer to the world and the beer people just glommed onto it. That's so cool. So I got one six pack and 75 bucks and it came with like two glasses, sure. But after drinking it, I would have bought three more, I think. That's, that's, it's really interesting to hear you, you say, um, these monks are brewing it and stuff. And then here I bought a six pack. So they're clearly canning it. Are they, or are they, bottled. they bottled. were bottled? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes more sense. Cause yeah. I was like, monks are running canning machines are now, yeah. are they? Well, <laughs> I've done that for a bit. I don't that. see that happening. Like monks are probably the hottest asset you could have in the beer and spirits. Yeah. yeah. No, you like, really chartreuse and whatever the fuck this is. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when they put their mind to something, they're like, yeah, well, Oh, did you hear that group of, you know, monks are going to drop a new record. Yeah. That's like, like <laughs> you know, it's absolutely insane. Monks seem to do the best of everything. Well, it's so they've been doing it for hundreds of years. Well, yeah. What else do they have to do? Kind of like the same, the same recipe. Yeah, yeah right? and like you know, when you got God on your side, well, <laughs> can't go wrong. Yeah, you can't go wrong. If he before us, who who be against us? Right. But um, this, oh, sorry, no, go ahead. I was just gonna say that, that when I tasted <laughs> it, for us, who be against us? <laughs> It's <laughs> Saving Private Ryan. That's the no, no, yeah, anyway. No. Um, oh. So when I opened the West Blooder in twelve, I tasted it and I thought, "This is bullshit." I expected like a ray of light to come out of the bottle <laughs> and, and angels sing, and I'm like, "This is the best." And then I was kind of thinking a couple more sips, and like, "There's actually nothing wrong with this beer. Completely balanced." The malt and the hops, like everything is just, it's in unison and it is completely, like if you That's look it up online, thing. it's its usually uh, rated the best beer in the world. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. And I, so I had a six, six pack, not really on a plastic ring or anything, but <laughs> so and then I would only special occasions. And then I think it was about two years ago, I had two bottles left. And I'm like, well, they're probably going bad. So I opened one and drank it. I'm like, nope. So I still have one at home unopened, but... I don't know when. Don't know how many years occasion? ago did you buy it? Six or seven years ago. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is an advertisement for being a parent. Seth just went on the record admitting that in the last six years he's had five special <laughs> occasions. <laughs> That's what being a parent is like. There it is, right now. There it is, the truth. Yeah, I love that. I was like, oh, he must have got it like six months ago. No, no, this it's is Seth only deemed five super special occasions in the last six <laughs> yeah. years. So this brings up an interesting topic, and this might be a whole big can of worms to open up, but I'm going to do it nonetheless. Sure, we have it's, two minutes. It's interesting <laughs> to to hear like the religious and the political side of alcohol and how it's basically caused huh. us to have all these separate uh, regions and whatnot. For example, if you look at the difference between like Scotch and, and Irish whiskey, the Irish were taxed on malted barley and having uh, multiple stills, like have on stills. So they just said, okay, we'll use unmalted barley and we'll build bigger stills. Mm -hmm. You know, it's typically oh, like Isla. Traditionally, it's not the case anymore. Like, I mean, you know, it's a blend now. Well, like, yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. But, I but mean, it's traditionally, still, yeah, for sure. Whisk, whiskey sees it a lot. You have Canadian whiskey, Japanese whiskey, Irish whiskey, scotch, like bourbon. There are so many different types of whiskey out there that is dependent on region and mash bill and a whole host of other factors. Those are the main ones. But it's just interesting 
that that and then you look at uh you know this beer and and monks that brew beer as well as they do the like the chartreuse as well made by mm-hmm. monks mm-hmm. it's interesting to see that religion has impacted alcohol to the extent that it has where you have this chartreuse it's not an amaro it's kind of a liqueur it's it's just its own little thing i would say yeah I, I just like I like learning about the impacts that religion and politics has, have had on, you on alcohol. Sh- you should read A History of the World in Six Glasses mm. by, by Tom Standage. Okay. He talks about what, what was it? wine, beer, spirits, coffee, tea, and Coca-Cola mm. and how all of those shift, changed the world and like how they shifted everything, especially the wine, spirits, and beer because it was so long ago and it really touches on that, uh, religion and politics. Uh, I'll have to do that. Oh, it's such a good beer. There's also a book about, I, I don't remember what it's called, and I wish I did, but it's about wine and human history. Okay. Uh, and Jeff actually recommended it to me probably two or three years ago. And I'm, I haven't, but he was saying it's just fascinating. And it's just kind of the way, like, the way wine has been influenced and been influenced by and influenced human advancement. Yeah, and that's all you, that's all you're going to give us? That's well, about, that's a, about, a book about wine. Yeah. Well, Jeff Savage recommended it, so it's well, got to be good. Well, I'm sure it is. I just can't remember the name. I'm useless. Call him that's, up. Call him up right yeah. now. That's the, the <laughs> interesting. Jeff, come on. <laughs> the interesting thing on this is how long of a history we've had with alcohol, and the fact that alcohol is like one of the biggest industries in the world. Yeah, it's international. Everybody has some form of like spirit or wine or beer. Like every culture pretty well does. Uh, it, it's just really interesting to to see the now, present day, when we have so much accessibility to the world, to see what everyone is doing with their like kind of local ingredients, right? I mean... Oh, for sure. It, mm-hmm. It's just really interesting to me. And that's what I like that uh, about bringing it back to our topic of craft, is yeah. that we are using local ingredients. Yeah. You know, like with um, Eau Claire in their gin and using prickly pear cactus and all the things that right. grow around them. Or Strathcona yeah. and Badland Seabury for their gin. Yeah. Yeah. They go Sharing and pick them. stuff. Uh, oh. Botanist. I mean, again, I know we're yeah, talking about local, but Botanist, you know, going to Isla, it's the only gin that I know that's made from entirely uh, Isla botanicals. It is. Yeah. Sourced in that one little place. There's no other, there's no other gin like that in the world. That's sick. Everybody who does that. Rad, good on you. Do yeah. it. You should do it. Uh, talking about, you were talking about uh, a marrow. Uh, someone made an marrow. Wildlife. Wildlife. From Wildlife. Yeah. Okay. It's um, good. It's really good. I haven't tried that one. But I was thinking more of the BC ones that use a lot of their you know, ingredients. Anyways, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it doesn't matter where it is, but you're using uh, a local ingredients to make your Mari. So, yeah. yeah. yeah it's, it's, I, I love seeing this craft and how experimental people are getting. And sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes it works out amazing, right? Like this is one thing that nobody really touches on and nobody has like really realized, but Alberta actually has a ton of wormwood absinthe. I think it grows in ditches. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I've just kind of been sitting here being like, when is somebody going to be like, oh, actually there's ab, there's worm, wormwood everywhere. Let's You're make an absinthe. Grand absinthia wormwood? Like absinthe, uh, absinthia? Yeah. Yeah. Grows it, in Alberta in yes. ditches. Yeah, it goes yes, wild. Where the you fuck can did see you it everywhere. Where, where? My Tony, my good buddy, yeah, yeah. he's a he was a former weed sprayer. Yeah, Artemisia, and he's like, Artemisia I Artemisia spray it all the time. He's like, I can take you to like fields of it if you want. And so I'm kind of just been I've been waiting for somebody to to do an absinthe out of 
Alberta wormwood. Well, and I, I've, I've been looking to get some seeds just to plant because I want to make, you know, vermouth. Yeah, 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 that'd be awesome. Actually, I can get you some. Okay, yeah, please hit me up. Okay. That's what I was going back to that question of what you'd like to see. Mm-hmm. BC is, I would love to see Alberta follow the exact same template that BC has. So we would have our own Amaros, our own vermouths, our own start. Oh, like, I would love to be able to, you know, at least start with the basics. Do you know what I mean? I want to be able to make an Al- Alberta Manhattan. Mm, yeah. Albertan vermouth, Albertan whiskey. They already got the rye from Eau Claire. They just released sure. their Plowman rye. Yeah. I'm, and I'm it's technically so speaking, oh, yeah. though, we've got more than, I mean, we, we, we don't necessarily have, yeah, craft would be ideal. But already, all we need is a vermouth because there's plenty of rice produced in Alberta. Yeah, I mean, are they top top shelf? Uh, they arguably no. Um, uh, the '86 company bought it. Like they bought Alberta Premium. Did they? That's uh, no. What? No, they contract their distilling of Aylesbury out of that distillery, but they don't. Oh, it was Aylesbury. Premium. I'm thinking of um, Whistlepig. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whistlepig, Whistlepig yeah. bought Alberta Premium. No, they they contracted as well. So they just took Alberta, pretty much Alberta Premium, shipped it over to Vermont, bottled it in a nice bottle, and then charged a lot more. Mm. Pardon? And now they... Is that accurate? So Whistle Pig is Alberta Premium. It was. I think they have their own now. But it was Alberta Premium for many years. Yeah, hmm. for a few years. Because well, all of a sudden, uh, Whistle I'm Pig... I'm 95% and, sure. Whistle Pig and Bareface, two different Canadian whiskeys, uh, they've all mm. of a sudden popped up on my radar. Well, Whistle no. Pig's not Canadian. Oh, they're from Vermont. They're from uh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, Whistle Pig's in the air. Gotcha. Okay, but still, like Bear Fate, it's a new one that popped up on my radar, and surprised to find out they're not. They're they're new, but they're not that new. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's inter- But that that goes back to the, to the topic where like is the market super saturated? There are companies producing stuff that being in this industry where I am constantly having new products roll past my eyes. That either I didn't see it or I didn't remember it. It's it's a it's a blessing and a curse, mm. right? You're str- like as as a bartender, I struggle to find. Well, whose beer do I like? You know, I'm making a beer cocktail. Whose IPA do I want to use? I li- I have so many to choose from. Well, but that is the, that's the, that's a good point that I wanted to mention uh, earlier. Is that yeah, like you've got all these new things in and it's kind of like a, or when I was at Bose got rid of the macros and we're just doing the micros now but I knew what a beef eater tasted like in a cocktail and I knew mm. well this would call for this instead but now it's like you've got to know those ones in, in and out you know like how do I know that Strathcona is going to be better than wildlife for a certain cocktail not you're gonna to have to try them all right well and yeah. uh, sorry to interrupt Matt but no, okay. the other part to that that is hard and I, t- I touched on this earlier that like these big companies that can produce light lagered, they, they can produce light lagers and they can do it with insane like they can re- reproduce it several times over. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, um, I've noticed in craft spirits that is not the case. I've had you know the gin that I have gotten the one time was amazing, and then the next one falls way short of that first one hmm. how do you put that in a cocktail right 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 and in but i mean and yes again like you said double-edged sword i think you know uh show me a chef who complains about having too many ingredients to work with yeah i don't buy that, it's yeah. i don't buy any chef being like oh fuck i've got too many options yeah. no no that's a good thing it is but good the thing. issue is at the same time it doesn't cost them necessarily it's not in the same structure 
You can yeah. go and buy those cool, unique vegetables, and you're not putting a, you know, sixty dollars half a brown note into that one ingredient that's going to take you mm-hmm. maybe five months to use. But I think it's a good thing. I think it's rad. Like you, you were saying, you know, there's a lot of flavor profiles we have to learn. But fuck, if if we learn all those things, we're we're better than we were before. But that's Do you know, we might we might learn a few things about flavor pairings that we wouldn't otherwise know. If there's a gin that comes out that's specifically Albertan made and has some really really super cool ingredients in it, that's rad. And if we can learn how to use that effectively in a cocktail in a way that is drastically different than something like a London Dry, I'm down with that. Like I'm, I'd be happy to do that. And I think that's a, a huge boon that craft spirits give us. Yeah, uh, I just did Google the Whistle Pig thing, and yes. They buy their whiskey from Alberta Premium Distillery, uh, 100% rye mash, and then they rebottle it on their farm in Vermont. Oh. So. And then send it back up here for $70 a bottle? Yeah. Oh, my. So if you're well, buying but- Whistle Pig, just go buy Alberta Premium for 80 bucks less. I don't know I don't know what the context of this is. Like, I don't understand. But that's what, so... What are they... What the fuck? Yeah, that's really annoying. Well, so many people do it. It's Everyone does it. Yeah. I shouldn't say everyone, no, but it's everyone. done a lot in beer too. Well, you know, Tool Shed contract brewed out of yep. Surrey until they got their own distillery. And I think like Whistle Pig did it until they made enough money to make their own yep. distillery. Well, and then, are, they, are they doing it now or no? Oh, I don't because know the date of this Because if they're article. doing it now, ah, that's super frustrating. But that's, <laughs> I mean, for example, if you look at uh, one example from my recent mind, Isla Mist, uh, a blended scotch, is mostly uh, made Lefroy. up of Laphroaig, yeah. and I think it's like some Speyside or something. But yet, a bottle of Laphroaig runs you seventy-five dollars, and that's the entry point. I would miss it's thirty bucks. Same with Famous Gross. Like I, 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 I have Irish Mist. Highland Mist. Okay. Famous Gross I've heard is made of Highland Park and McCallum, which are two of like the most premium brand scotches in the world. But yet, you can buy a two six of Famous Gross for. 28 bucks. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. I did not hear that. Right? Know, yeah. Then all they do is buy different. You need to try the Miss, by the way. Yeah, I do. Barrels. Yeah. Blend it. Try it. Do you want no. no. No, I buy it from a house. Oh, really? It says it's be irresponsible. Literally, if I'm sitting here talking, I'm still not registering. Are Barely. you seeing this? Barely. What am I doing wrong? Is this I better? Mean, your mustache is too long, I think. It blocks. It's like a yeah, but yours isn't. It's a, it's a sound mud, sound mud flap. Once one more time because Seth is uh, telling me my mustache is too long. Seth's mustache is three times as long as my mustache, and you've been able to hear him perfectly this entire show. Okay, well that theory is done. It's not the mustache. It's not the sound flaps that you believe I have. <laughs> okay, well this is going on an hour and a half, so let's chop it back. I think witness. Thanks. That's that's all for today. Uh, <laughs> I'll copy that at the end. Can you please I want I want to hear what right. that sounds like. What are, we're going to uh, sign, sign off. off. So this is uh, this has been uh, talking about craft at the wood. On the wood. At the wood. <laughs> I do that every time. Yeah. With wood. I've, sure. yeah, I've made it my mission to make you delete me saying on the wood. <laughs> out of <laughs> at least once out of every episode. Wait. Oh, last, yeah. Lastly... This uh, Icarus Stout, what movie are you going to watch? Drake oh, the Django Unchained. That was quick. Yeah, well, that or The Revenant. Because it's like it's like a perfect mm. winter I'd say The beer. Revenant, it's good. Yep. And like, th- both of those had like elements of winter to them. Beyond the Black Rainbow. Okay. I don't know what that is. But, uh, yeah. I'm going to watch uh, Spirited Away. Mmm, that's accurate. That's great. Hey. Yeah. Okay, with that, I win. 
<laughs> Until next time. Bye. Yeah, 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 yeah